Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hi, folks. Welcome to Making Data Simple. Al Martin here, uh, your host. Hope you're healthy, you're fabulous, you're well. We're in a good mood today, so we're going to have some fun. Today's topic is Agile AI and remote data science. I don't know anything that's not remote anymore these days or virtual or whatever, but we'll talk about what that means. Today, I have two distinguished guests. One is Winnie Allen, who's the business director for IBM Data Science and AI Elite. Well, the Data Science Elite team is a team of data scientists here at IBM that work side by side with IBM clients. They co-engineer AI solutions focused on business challenges, et cetera. Uh, she also evangelizes AI and machine learning technology so we can help mitigate risk, we can save money, save time, improve operations, and increase value. She is also, Winnie, has helped me host, or I guess she's hosted by herself several times on Making Data Simple when she brought stories from the field in. And I have, in addition to Winnie, I have Carlo Applesauce. That's what we've decided to go with today. <laughs> It's Applegacy, is that right? Yes, sir. Yep. All right, there you go. He is the program director of IBM Data Science in, in AI Elite. He's implemented many of these technologies, agile AI, and helped clients uh, quickly gain a value with machine learning and artificial intelligence. So much so that he's also co-authored the Data Science Elite O'Reilly ebook entitled Agile AI, A Practical Guide to Building AI Application and teams to educate organizations on how to successfully leverage AI, Agile AI methodology. Could you have come up with a longer title? <laughs> well, you know, I the O'Reilly folks were like, you should be more descriptive of the book. I'm like, just Agile AI, just Agile AI, but they were a little strict. So. <laughs> We went around and around on that. That's a long story. I don't want to go into that. <laughs> you got it all in, man. You got it all in. Yeah. All right. So over recent years, obviously, we've talked a lot about AI. There's been a ton of recent progress with AI with the massive amounts of data we have, the compute power. And, I, you know, it's a good inflection point in history with all the technologies advancing. By example, you've got autonomous cars where, you know, we've got machine vision, we've got uh, mapping and, and satellite technology, integrated systems. All this gives rise to the inflection point of AI. So with that, Winnie and or Carlo, what are we going to do here today? What's the topic? What do you guys want to discuss? It's all you. Al, what we wanted to talk about today really is how do we get people to really adopt AI? AI is not anything new anymore. We have been talking about it for years. We have seen many stats from leading industry analysts about how important it is, how much value it can bring. But what we are seeing though, is even though we have been talking about it for years of the large potential benefits, it's not as widely adopted as one would hope. As a matter of fact, we are seeing only 20% companies implemented AI in some of their processes. While 70% of the executives rate AI as very important, only 2% can say that they have actually achieved positive results. Now, these are not good numbers. Unfortunately, that's not really even a surprise to many of the organizations working on adoption and implementation. And so being part of the data science and AI elite team, what we have done 
in the last two and a half years is that, you know, we've worked with clients and we're seeing some of these challenges. We have developed actually our own secret sauce. I know I'm putting that out there as something, you know, enticing, but really we have been working a lot to develop this methodology along with the very um, differentiated platform together. I think we're seeing some really good successes and we want to share that with the listeners, you know, what the secret sauce is, what we're seeing, what we're doing, and hopefully people who are listening to this can use this and adopt it and put it into practice. Carlo, do you want to add? Yeah, sure. So, you know, one of the big things about why I created the book, you know, as Winnie mentioned, there's no blueprint, let's say there's no clear best practice on how each company can implement AI. Uh, so what I wanted to do is really kind of capture some of the core tenets, you know, what is the technology as basis on why, how that kind of really shapes what skills are needed and as well adapt an approach to where you can really get to results quickly, right? You know, the last thing we want people to do is say, I'm going to do an AI project and it takes two years and two years, your business changes, AI changes. So you want to get really quick and it kind of goes to the heart of why I wrote the book. I wanted people to get this idea that, you know, AI is really helping you one use case at a time. So focus on that problem and you don't want to follow your typical software development methodologies, but more using an agile approach, but a little different for data science. So that's why I kind of put that book together to really uh, help people with that and reduce risk of failure. Okay, Mr. Appleglacy. Thank See? you. <laughs> so I've, you got to break this up for me. You got Agile AI. The topic today was Agile AI and remote data science. On the Agile AI side, there's going to be listeners out there going to say, oh my God, they're using both the most overused terms in the industry, Agile and AI, and remote yeah. data science, you just got to explain what that is. So why do you call this Agile AI? Does it really have meanings or, or are we just using, uh, again, the overused terms that we see here over and over and over again? I use Agile AI for the book because it's all about sprint and quick development, but uh, bringing in, you know, obviously a blueprint on how to do it. So that's how come, that's why I coined that. I was trying to coin that phrase on the, for the book. So it is definitely an overused term. And there is agile software development methodologies that are out there, but engineering projects are totally different than AI projects, meaning you need to invest a little bit in all of your AI projects. And the book kind of highlights that, but as well, it teaches the reader a little bit about, you know, what are some of the skills and, and teams, but also what's the mindset you really have to put in place, you know, and, and you really need to have like an innovation approach towards these problems. And, and that's what I tried to capture in the book. And I've got, a bit of a summary I can go over, but you know, I don't want to get too much into it, but it, it really focuses around six things. You know, one is everything's about the use case, focus on the business problem. It's also about your data, you know, how are you bringing the data together and addressing that problem? You know, data is the lifeblood of all of, of your AI projects. What are the technologies and tools to understand, especially in open source space? And then as well, you know, your integration and trust of AI, because if you can't get it integrated well into your business process or trusted, you, you're going to fail. And then obviously to move quick, you know, don't spend too much time on one problem because that problem will change. And of course, the way you approach it will change as you glean insights from the project. So that's kind of the, the gist of the book. So and now the, we don't need to read it. Yeah, like, that's it. You got it right now. <laughs> no, it, it's kind of, you know, it goes into more detail, obviously. And it's a light read. You could do it in one day. 
but it's just, you know, that's the approach that we've been applying. So we have done this to so many clients. So we've done, you know, a few hundred projects over the last two years working with clients. It's so hard for organizations to jump on a problem quick. We started out by talking about, hey, we're going to do this in three sprints and we're going to prove value with your data using the technology on a real business problem. And we're able to do it at the end of six weeks. And the investment of six weeks is a lot different than investing six months on something. That's kind of the, the point. And we've been getting really good results. And that's just the start. Everybody's in their journey in a different place. But that's kind of the start of, of how it works. It's like folks on business outcome, do these quick MVPs which, and follow a methodology and then you know move on from there. You know what's great, Carlo? Before we began the podcast, we talked about our producer that hates lists because then he has to edit. And a lot of times they're out of order. And within five minutes, we've already done a list. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So Steve Templeton, we love you, man. Enjoy. So wait a second. Let me make sure I get the list right. Since we're on list, we're really going I didn't count six. See, I'm already off. Use oh. cases, data, tech and tools, integration and trust, uh, quick deployment. There was one I missed. Agility and mindset. This is about being adaptable, having the right mix of people. I go into a lot of details about the matrix environment of a team structure and what's successful and what's not, which we've really worked a lot on with every client. So it's also about mindset and um, that goes into the structure of the team, the type of people you bring together and you know the ability to remove all obstacles. And, you know, A lot of failure in organizations and AI are organizational. Is there any one of those that are more important than the others? In your mind? In my opinion, I think mindset's one of the most important. I think organizations in many ways are like, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. And many times they end up shooting themselves by not addressing you know, the, the elephant in the room, which is culturally their need to build a, some type of incubation team or, or some way of, of really changing the mindset of how to approach problems. If I was to give you my list so let's go with lists. Let's really hit Steve hard. <laughs> my list would be uh, data capture, governance, incorporating AI into the infrastructure, because I think that's so difficult. It, it's easy to create model. It's very difficult to create a model that is sustained. It'll, it'll continue in that infrastructure. And then the fourth one, the behavior of people. So yeah. I'm with you. I think that aligns with your mindset. And it's pretty close to what you essentially outlined. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it sounds really close. And then, of course, you know, I stick on their agility, meaning don't sit on things too long. Don't make big projects. Focus on small business outcomes. And I think that's that also goes to mindset, I think, too. I will give you this, though. You know, you roll your eyes at the everybody using Agile. But look, I use it just as well as everyone else. Six weeks is Agile. So convince the listeners out there, they're going six weeks, my my <laughs> so does my team and trust me <laughs> they do that every time they're like there's no way we can do all this in six weeks but let me give it to you this way it's sometimes it's about scope and if you're if you know you're only going to spend six weeks to show a result you're going to whittle it down to the most important things of that project and that really helps the team really focus in on what matters if you're doing a forecast model and you already have a system in place that's giving you a forecast and your job is to say, you know what, if we do a whole new pipeline of da you know, different data points in here, we use a few different algorithms, can I actually show results? So in that six weeks, the sprint would be, you know, grabbing existing data, grabbing new data, 
modeling, you know, uh, a couple uh, algorithms, maybe breaking up, you know, by category or by product or SKU or whatever, and then let's split out on a, a, a notebook or something what the results are and see how it compares. And that's it. That's what you do in six weeks. And if you could show 2% lift based on your historical data, then it's worth to take it to the next phase, which is start to do your adoption. So now how do we actually start to think about how this, you know, goes into our process? How do we do A-B testing, control samples and all that kind of stuff? So, you know, that, that's why it's important to, before you decide to build a whole new forecast system and say, right, mate, and machine learning is great. We should get great results do that investment of that six weeks. And, and that's kind of the part of what DSE team does. They got to do a lot in six weeks, but they also love that they're trying new problems all the time. I think in addition to that, right? So as awesome as our team is, I think there is also the thought of the platform that we use, the help that we do get, right? Because, you know, I keep on saying data science is really, or AI is really a team sport. There are so many different pieces to it for someone to really be able to see the outcome, the result of, you know, your project. So all the way from data collection, organization, virtualization of this data, to, you know, the building and deployment to be able to actually, you know, like you said, operationalize it in the business process. All of that, you know, today we are seeing even some of the largest organizations who are still doing these, maybe not all together, or maybe not have the same team working together collaboratively. Um, so part of the job of, you know, the DSE team is to go in there and also, you know, trying to help our clients to pull together that team to make sure that they are working together, collaborating through the use of our tool, as well as, you know, just by kind of opening up the communications, letting other people see what's going on, and also doing an assessment of the types of skills there are on the team. Because, you know, just because you're saying AI skills, you know, it's a skills shortage, everybody knows it, but it really encompasses a lot of interdisciplines within data science you have people who are specializing in you know data engineering versus people who are really into the algorithms who versus people who are into you know the ml ops side of things right so i think that also is part of the secret sauce if you will that we are bringing to the table so it's not just the methodology because the methodology by itself it's nothing earth shattering it's the little pieces that we put together through trials and errors and all the experiences that you know the team has gone through that we've learned that these are the best practices that we want to share let me ask you a couple of questions one thing i was going to ask you winnie and you answered or you talked to this to begin there's a lot of statistics out there yeah i was going to ask you so where are we at with ai i mean doing a pause where are we at you know the last time i checked actually and maybe a little different i mean either way the statistics say there's a lot of room opportunity here. But I think in 2018, McKinsey had said that half of the respondents that they went through had tried at least or embedded at least one area of AI in a business process. Sure. Like 30% were piloting, 21% had embedded it in more than one part uh, within their business, but only 3% 
uh, had integrated AI across their full enterprise workflow. So, I mean, either way, I mean, I don't know what, I mean, you could go back to some of the statistics. Sure. Either way, it points to we're just still scratching the surface here. You know, there are different analysts out there. They gather different results. They have different statistics. But I think the statistics that they are really interested in are things like, you know, can I get a 40% reduction in operating hours, a 15% reduction in terms of, you know, cost, a, you know, 250% improvement in accuracy. You know, those are the type of statistics I think that people really envious, if you will, if they're not there and they're really interested in because I think, you know, rather than trying to figure out is it 21%, is it 50%, I mean, yes, we are seeing an uptick, especially now during, you know, this pandemic, the people are turning more and expediting their journey to the digital transformation, their journey to AI. You guys have talked about the different elements, use cases, data, et cetera. Sure. Reverse engineering, stepping back a little bit, what are the problems with AI today? One of the things you think about as far as changes in how businesses uh, operate and make you know intelligent decisions is the technologies. I mean, years ago, SQL came about and it really changed how businesses and it spurred a whole development set of people developing applications that can pull data from you know different ways and view them in different ways. Now machine learning is really the technologies that are able to predict things in the future that people can't do because they can sift through so much data. But the challenge has been there's so many flavors of machine learning in business, you know, whether it's a, a third-party app that actually integrates it and does it for you, which simplifies it, or if you have a data science team and then how to implement it. So the challenges I've seen with open source, there's just so many options and it's very difficult and expensive for organizations to be able to invest and actually have a good view of everything that's available to help them with. So it becomes a complication for them to be able to actually start to implement this. And there's 10 ways to always do the same problem. And sometimes all 10 will probably be fine, but it's a matter of deciding how do you pick which one there and which one is that, you know, and there's so many vendors, there's so many open source projects. And I think that has really been the big problem. And democratizing machine learning is going to continue to happen. That's what we're doing right now. And I think until things streamline more and standardize, those challenges are going to exist. And to your point about adoption, it's really difficult to even say, you know, with an organization, because some teams, some companies are so big, they could have a, a great quant team and a big data science practice. And that's good. But for the line of business that's trying to implement a new forecasting model, they can't get their time and they go invest in technology. That line of business now is basically starting from scratch, right? And so it's hard to say in any given company how advanced they are because a company like everything in life is complicated and there's so many different pieces to it. Look, I think if I could add something and you tell me if I'm right or wrong here, I see that's kind of a technical answer, which is great. I'm also often talking with the C-suite, you know, the, the issues that I see is one, just flat out developing an AI strategy. Secondly, then there's concern in finding talent and getting the skill set. Then, and this is what you said earlier, is overcoming silos in the organization. The next one is like lacking ownership and commitment and follow through yeah. because it's very difficult to get these in production. You got to test. I mean, the sheer definition of AI is continuous learning 
And there's going to be a lot of models that just fail. So you're paying for something to fail. I think people have to get that through their head until they get through to the winner. And then once you get all that, then it's, all right, now I need to institutionalize the framework or model that we have. So often I see like two different methods to attack this. I think the early AI adopters, they tend to look at uh, how to grow or find a market or increase market share. They're looking at it, hey, what I need to find some of the questions that I haven't even thought to ask. And then the less experienced focus tends to uh, look at reducing cost. I mean, something simple like churn or something that can reduce cost. Do you agree with that or can you expand upon that? Did, did I say that well or do you see it differently? I'm definitely seeing this in the marketplace that, you know, the variety of use cases, the different approaches that are people taking, plus obviously the cost and the investment to the company. And plus there's a ton of vendors and different tools. So I think it, it does make this hard. Say I'm a company out there. I'm listening. I'm saying, look, I got my own data scientist. I don't need these guys. What would you guys say to that? What's your response? We have data scientists. You have data scientists. It, it, there's not one better data scientist than other, but one, something that I've, I've known f- that we've been able to do to help companies is, you know, we bring a different view to things. Even if our data scientists have seen a problem a different way, they've worked on different industries, collaborating with the other data scientists. I've never seen a company that didn't want to get a fresh perspective from another group that's working on similar problems over and over again. I, my team, I, you know, I'm pretty proud of the team, but these guys jump from one problem to another, from one industry to another, and you know, and they're able to take known approaches and apply them in new ways that have really um, helped companies. I can tell you, at one company, they're a data company. One of their lines of business, they were looking at entity matching, and we were able to bring a deep learning approach to something that totally opened their eyes, and they built an entire data science practice in that line of business because they wanted to revamp their business processes. So I'm not saying that my team's going to be more advanced than yours, but we have some approaches that we could potentially bring, and it's worth an investment to just try it out and see if, if you can get a different view on things that might help you. So, yeah, Winnie, you I, said earlier that the secret sauce was in the methodology, but couldn't that methodology be copied? What's the secret sauce, seriously, in what we do? And then the second part of this, I don't care who answers it, what do I get in six weeks? So you're really opening the door for me to put in my marketing pitch, I guess. So the secret sauce, we're really, you know, jokingly call it the secret sauce. The reason why we're on this podcast is because we want people to adopt our agile AI methodology. And I think Carlo covered that a lot. One thing I do want to bring up that's uniquely ours, which is, you know, the perspective. Um, And I know Carlo touched a little bit on that, but, you know, if you look at our team, we have actually, we are coming up on, this is just a small plug, 150 engagement um, celebration that's going to come up in the next uh, couple of, uh, couple of weeks. And so, you know, we have done, Lots of engagement in all the major industry sectors, over 40 plus countries. And what we're seeing is there are themes of things that people are really wanting to do that are cross industries. And a lot of times, you know, when you are in an industry, when you're maniacally focused on, you know, what you do, um, you may or may not be 
aware or um, familiar with what's going on in other industries that could be applicable. So I'll give you an example. So personalization, that's something that we're really seeing an uptick on, you know, especially with everything that's happening today with the pandemic and, you know, all of that. When I say personalization, you know, what type of industry typically comes to mind? Retail, maybe, right? Um, Maybe retail banking on the FSS side. But what we're seeing is this is actually a common theme that's cross industry that we're seeing even on telecom companies, organizations that are looking to improve on the personalization side. And so within that, you know, there are specific models that we do. You know, there's segmentation that we do, there is um, predictions that we make, forecasting that we do, you know, even in some cases, you know, NLP that we incorporate. These are things that, you know, when put together, packaged, they can really be leveraged across different industries that they may not be looking at today. So that's, you know, something that is uniquely ours because we do cross all these different areas. We are seeing themes, commonalities, and really best practices and ideas that can be leveraged from one to another. We are also able to do things that are more diverse in nature. Um, So diversity in data science skills, our team, you know, we're almost 100 people, uh, 100 data scientists, you know, of all disciplines within data science. So that goes, you know, all the way, as I said before, you know, from the data exploration side, all the way to, you know, the operational side. In many of the organizations and clients that we have worked with, they may or may not have that very complete gamut of, um, you know, skills, in particular, and, you know, that's something that our team sometimes goes in and one surfaces to, you know, the leadership or, you know, the organization that, um, hey, you're missing that. And two, you know, a lot of times we do come in through, you know, our team members' knowledge skills, as well as we do, you know, get some help on the tools as well. Things like, you know, automating things, using things like auto AI that, um, to find features, build initial models without a lot of manual help. Uh, So there's, you know, all these um, different pieces that come into play that really build out a very robust methodology together. Very good. Hey, I wanted to ask you, Carlo, just a little bit about more about the process, the methodology, and see if we can screw Steve Templeton up a little bit with this. So... You said use cases, data, tech and tools, integration of trust, uh, quick deployment, agile mindset. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got those. And hold on. I want to like a, like a, just a snippet from each one. We'll just give up your whole book. Most of what you do, supervised learning, I presume, versus unsupervised or reinforcement learning, or do you do a little bit of all? We do a little bit of all. We even incorporate optimization, especially after doing predictive supervised learning type models. We do all of it, depending on the problem. Like we said, we we focus in on that use case, which is one of the, the key elements. And then we, you know, depending on the problem, we can approach it in different ways. I presume you do more in supervised though, do you? Yeah, know? that's probably 80%. You know, predicting outcomes and, and, you know, adopting machine learning, supervised learning is used much more than anything else. For those listeners, I mean, and I don't know if I don't get this right, then Carlo jump in, but supervised being labeled data, with those preferred outcomes, unsupervised learning being without labels, like you're detecting patterns. Think of that. Reinforcement learning is essentially training through some kind of rewards or scoring. 
And the only reason I I see most supervised, mostly because we live in this, we're coming from a structured environment, like a transactional system or something and trying to make use of that. And that's why I see it, but I don't know if you see it in a different way. No, we see a lot of supervised learning, you know, especially for the more early folks, supervised learning comes up the most. And then there's some groups that are a little more advanced. And at that point, we're doing a, a few approaches. Sometimes we do unsupervised to create some new new elements and then put it into a, a supervised type model. So there's a, quite a few uh, ways to do it. Use cases. When I looked, I was looking through a McKinsey report not long ago, and it was talking about the incremental value from AI over other analytic techniques. At the top of the list, I think it went like this. It went travel, transport, and logistics. I guess that's kind of travel. But retail, automotive, high-tech, oil and gas chemicals, and goes down from there. What do you do in terms of the methodology around use cases? And which are the most common use cases you're seeing? Use case, there's so many use cases. But what we're seeing a lot is is forecasts. I'm seeing a lot of forecasts, which people have been doing for years, but we're reinventing how to do forecast models. There's quite a bit in optimization of operations, you know, shop, you know, optimizing the shop, the manufacturing floor. And those are things that are happening. They still, we're getting a lot of those. Predictive maintenance, something's coming up. We're actually working right now with a power company around predicting some failures in a nuclear facility. And those are pretty fun projects, but you know, that is- Don't screw that up, man. Yeah, don't mess <laughs> it up for sure. <laughs> exactly. That's so why, you know, I don't do it. My team does it. They, they'll do a better job than me. But, and, you know, we've seen a lot in anomaly detection, but some of the most fun things, I think, you know, obviously there's a lot in also automation, right? Virtual agents, you know, call center support, uh, different things like that. And then, you know, some of the most fun, interesting projects is around saving lives, I guess. We did a project with a few healthcare providers on sepsis and being able to predict that earlier to see if they could intervene with treatment. And we have a few people, a few of the PhDs on my team have backgrounds in the medical field. And, you know, one's actually a medical doctor and a data scientist. And um, she does a fabulous job and she's, she, she works on a lot of these problems. Customer service is huge right now, isn't it? Particularly in the world of pandemics, they need to understand what their unemployment benefits are or whether, you know, they got COVID. I got to believe it's through the roof. Yeah, virtual agents are a lot. You know, we get, some of those are getting to the point now where you can obviously do them quicker and less coding involved in doing them. They're becoming easier to implement. Uh, But when it becomes more advanced that we need to figure out something uh, and augment them, we actually get a lot more involved in those cases, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Say a few things about data. Unless, yeah. uh, did you have anything? I was actually like... going to talk about data. So that's perfect. So one of the things, you know, I, I don't know if we can reinvent forecasting, but we can, you know, incorporate additional data sources. And we are seeing that, right? Non-traditional data sources, such as like social determinants in various different industries, we are seeing, you know, additional customer input data source put into things like a large telecom company in New Zealand, and they are actually looking at minimizing their operating costs with minimal customer impact by predicting where, you know, to go and service their towers and, you know, the data sources that they used was customer data. So we are seeing more of, you know, looking at not just the Excel sheets or CSV files that come in, but, you know, additional 
data sources, leveraging natural language processing. So, you know, that's definitely a piece of it. Um, And then also the large quantity of data, the massive data that we're using, a lot of optimization, uh, it goes into that, looking at, you know, how do I optimize different things, optimize my resources, um, you know, when, when people are talking about opening up, reopening, right, after the pandemic. What does that mean? What does that look like? What do the resources look like? And then also, you know, looking at increasing efficiencies. So there's a lot of things that we are doing with data. The large quantity of data has been something that we are looking at, you know, overcoming because that is a challenge. And then additional data sources that's been really helping us do some of the newer approaches, creating more of a generalized model than, you know, something specific. You know, just to add on data, you know how everybody says 80% of your work's around data and and everybody says it, but there is a lot of work involved in managing the data side of, of every project. So while... You know, typically the first few weeks, you know, before we, we call it sprint zero, before we even get started, we have to make sure we have access. And, and, you know, in some examples, we are actually had to have requests people to pull uh, data off of the machine floors. So part of our discovery aspect of every project, we have to decide what elements are included. And then we have to grab those data elements. And some of them, you know, there's a lot of big data we've worked with government agencies and Hadoop and all the technology around Hadoop, you know, and, and then of course, a variety of data sources and bring them together. That's a big part of, of trying to break down the big organization, some big organizational silos and, and figure out a way to POC something where you're bringing data that typically wouldn't be brought together that easily. You're not giving me a lot of confidence around six weeks, man. That sounds like a lot <laughs> of work. It, yeah, Tell it, me. Tell me again how that's why, you know, I think besides the methodology, which, you know, is absolutely effective, we are also talking about leveraging the tools that we have, right? There are a lot of things that we do use, things to help automate things, you know, like auto AI that helps, you know, go through some of that data, data refinery, right? So there are tools that we are leveraging within our, you know, IBM tool set that does help go through some of those and ease some of that pain that a lot of the data scientists are having to go through. So I'll, I do have one more topic that I want to make sure that we cover for our- Well, can I, I, so I yeah. got it. Well, let, you said use cases. We talked about data. Yeah. You just mentioned tools. Fantastic. I want to just hit real quick. You don't, I mean, it could be a minute or less, 30 seconds or less. Integration and trust, any specifics there? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, integration is all about implementing a data science use case into your business process, whether it's business process, a digital app, part of your digital experience. And then trust is all about really making sure that people have an understanding of what exactly is being decided and being predicted. So a lot of predictive uh, use cases, which is supervised learning. And you know, in those predictive, you got to make sure it's not biased, it's explained properly. What are the main features that went into that prediction? How is it being logged? So all those things go into, you know, typically after we POC something, we call that our adopt phase. And we talk about how to make sure that those things are addressed. And that's what's important. While you don't want to do that in the agile initial prove out, we call it a prove, you want to prove in phase. It's something you need to look at and make sure it's accounted for as you move into your adoption phase. 
All right, quick deployment. Speaking of adoption, give me something quick on that. What's quick deployment mean to you? Quick deployment means when you're developing, so like we talked about bringing a lot of different data points together, when you're modeling something and then you're able to produce a, a model, you, you want to quickly be able to make sure you're working in technologies that can be deployed and consumed from a, uh, a endpoint perspective or an API perspective. So when I think of quick deployment, and then also you want to account for your business process and you don't want to go into many complicated AI ops cycles or dev life, you know, dev cycles. So you want to merely account for that early on with tools and, and technology uh, when you go into a POC. Nice. All right, Winnie, I don't want to lose uh, the momentum that you had there. You want to make sure that we don't miss. Oh, yeah. So the, the one thing that I want to make sure that um, we cover is on the remote side, right? So everybody's working remote. A lot of these things we started, you know, the team was 100%, you know, with clients on their site, you know, at the client location. But, you know, when March came, at least in the U.S., in North America, you know, everything shut down. We stopped. And so what we have done was very quickly, I would say within, you know, weeks, we have turned the entire operation, you know, to remote, virtual, without really missing a beat, um, you know, still helping our clients moving ahead in their, um, in their projects. And so, you know, what we have done was we actually collected a lot of the best practices of things that we do, the, uh, you know, around the Agile AI methodology, things that we have I guess, morphed into more of a virtual way. We collected all of that and we actually put that online. It's open. There's no marketing pitches there. It's very practical. You know, this is how you do it. Now that all your data scientists, data engineers, you know, your IT people, your business people are all working virtually. How do you still get together? How do you still move the projects along? How do you make sure that what you're doing is, you know, in sync with the rest of your team? And how do you still see results in six weeks? The six week engagement model has not changed even though we have moved completely into virtual. So it's not always it's not always 100% 6 weeks. Sometimes it's not, we, but yeah. It just depends on just to be fair. To be fair, it's not 100 but Sometimes for the most part. Small. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's less, right? So, you know, like the resources there, I just want to make sure that the listeners know that that is out there for their consumption. We put things like, you know, traditionally, for example, you know, we do in the discovery phase, uh, design thinking with Hills playbacks and sponsor users. And we do, you know, trying to understand what the use cases are. Those are much more difficult to do when you're not in person. So, you know, we have put in tools that you can leverage. I mean, we, we have put in best practices of what to do and what to look for to be effective. And we also have put in example templates of things that uh, potentially could be used in, you know, organizations, their own practice. So, you know, really, really cool resources that we thought uh, would be nice to share. And then, you know, the other thing that I want to mention, so these are all nice things that people can do is that um, we are getting a lot of work around 
skills, right? Understanding the skill sets, you know, of the teams of, you know, your team, if you're working on an AI project. So there are information in there talking about, you know, what does it mean to be able to pair program, right? When you're not there and what are the things that you can leverage tools? Again, you know, and some of those are not even IBM tools, but just tools that you can leverage to be able to do your job more effectively. So um, I believe the link is going to be available um, on the description of this podcast, but I want to at least make sure people know what that link is for and um, what type of information is out there and resources. We'll make the link available. That sounds good. We'll put it in the show notes. Sounds great. Anything else we didn't get to that that was critical? How do you engage? I think, you know, it's great that our team has been going out there talking a lot with people. Um, We have also added a consultation link. So for, you know, organizations that are, you know, on their AI data science journey, um, you know, they have a way to reach um, the IBM team. So is AI going to take everybody's job? That's the question of the day. Depends on your job, man. That's what I say. You know, there is in sectors that are being automated much faster. If you think about retail and how much retail is, especially now in COVID, how much of it's going to become automated. It's not just AI. I mean, it's AI and digital together. Those, a lot of those jobs are getting um, you know replaced over years, but it takes decades for that type of stuff to evolve. I do think the winning solution is humans augmented humans, I'd say AI augmented humans. So AI plus humans is the right answer. And, and that's what we're seeing. It does not replacing everybody, but if you're not using AI, AI can do things that humans can't. And as well, humans can do things that AI can't. So I think uh, it's, it's a better together kind of story. In my yeah, opinion. leaders that use it are certainly going to be able to get better outcomes than those that don't. Absolutely. Hey, look, I saw that the uh, GDP was looking to raise as a result of AI by 2030, $13 trillion. So yeah. That tells me there's got to be some gains in jobs someplace in there. But look, it's like I tell my kids, job loss, job gains, jobs changed. It's all about continuous learning. Just yeah. keep learning Absolutely. and then you make sure you're always safe. Hey, Winnie, what do you do for fun? Oh my gosh. Lately, I've been doing a lot of baking and cooking. Um, I think the quarantine 20 is definitely real. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why they call it COVID-19 because you're supposed to gain 19 pounds. Yeah, well, I think it's a little bit more than that now. But... (laughs) Um, I'm on the same path. Yeah, you know, just trying to stay um, active. I I think it is really important, though, um, even on the, you know, the remote data science side, we do talk about um, balance, talking about, you know, keeping, being sane, right? You know, I I think everybody's cooped up at home, um, needing an outlet to be able to do something different, stay focused, stay refreshed. All right, I, I have one assignment for you. Sure. I don't like sweets. Except for Jay Alexander's has a cheesecake. Or no, it says cheesecake. It's a carrot cake. Mm. That's fantastic. I've tried to mimic that and I cannot do it. They're doing something different. You got to find that out for me. (laughs) That's your job. All right. I will see what I can do. I see why the 20 pounds is happening. It's all this cake. (laughs) (laughs) Carla, what about you? What do you do for fun? Uh, yeah, I do quite a few things for fun. You know, obviously I, I've been on a diet and I've been exercising as COVID has scared me to death. I was like, I need to lose weight. So I've been losing some weight, but 
you know, I collect classic cars. I have old Mustang fastbacks that I've been, um, I get billed over years, you know, I find the parts and then I have, I don't do it myself, but I hire people and I restore them. So I've got a 1970 Boss 302 Mustang. I've got a 69 a 428 Super Cobra Jet, and I really love that one. That was pretty rare. Uh, Super Cobra Jet, actually. And then I've got a, a 68, you know, J Code Fastback, which I'm going to turn into a bullet. Jeez. And then where do you 60, put all these things, man? I got them all over the place and in uh, different places. And um, but I, I do love old cars. I collect them, and I tell my wife all the time, I'm like, hey, these are investments because they are investments. But she rolls her eyes at me when I say that. Yeah, but, if you can get her to buy that, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And then, you know, but of course she's a horseback rider lover. And so we, she has horses. So I am always helping her around the barn. And, you know, like I did a project a couple months ago where I turned an old futon into a, a pasture horse feeder. So I, I kind of do that. So I'm pretty handy. I like to do stuff. Yeah. He did that. actually post a picture of that. It's pretty awesome. I, I don't right. like to do computer <laughs> stuff for fun. I try to break it up. <laughs> Carl, I want some pictures, seriously, of these cars. Are you willing to sell any of them? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I just, sold the six, I just sold my uh, Eleanor. I had an Eleanor, like the movie Gone in 60 Seconds. Oh, that took man. me six years. I sold it so I can get more money in to go buy more or to, to do the other one. So I, it's always rotating. Makes sense. Makes sense. Hey, all right. So as I'm ending here, you know, I started the call. I talked about something I was reading around behavioral economics where – Long story short, we if somebody tells us not to do something, we immediately do it. Uh, kind of like the masks, right? People don't wear masks. You tell them not to wear a mask, that, or the, they have to, then they don't want to. Well, we get told not to do any lists. What do we do? First thing we do is we go right through the list. So, Steve, so I know you're listening and you're grimacing right now. Let me give you one last list just to wrap this up because I'm going to re redo what Carlo told me. So it's number one use cases. Number three, tech uh, and tools. Number five, quick deployment. Number two, data. Number four, integration and trust. <laughs> and number six, agility and mindset. Now you got to order them, man. Thank you. All right. Hey, guys. Thank, thanks for hanging out with me today. It was a good chat. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. We'll put all your stuff in the show notes so that people know where to reach you. But uh, Winnie and Carlo, you're awesome. Thanks, Al. All right. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out.